Ciao amici, welcome to Cinema Italiano, the podcast dedicated to the Italian experience as told by film. Today, we'll be talking about Luciano Emmer's 1950 film Domenica de Agosto, or Sunday in August. I first saw this movie eight years ago in 2013 as part of Italian studies class in college. I remember enjoying it, and it was one of my first sort of lighter Italian films to see, Having watched kind of headier masterpieces or harder-hitting neorealist dramas, this was a pleasant comedy as a kind of nice, easy watch just to have in the mix. In that class, we also watched the movie on a very low-quality, definitely bootleg DVD. Domenico de Agosto is available to watch legally on Amazon Prime Video in a pretty good transfer. It's an example of pink neorealism, a film movement that started in the late 1940s, early 1950s, directly following neorealism, which is much heavier, documentary-style, hard-hitting genre immediately after World War II. It's a more pleasurable entertainment while still maintaining the formal elements of neorealism. It's set in post-war Italy following Romans on a day trip out to the beach in Ostia. This time period in Italy is a period of growing prosperity, where families of all classes and walks of life are able to take leisure time on the weekend. Revisiting Domenico de Agosto several years later after I first watched it, several key themes popped up and resonated even more this time around. First, class distinctions and upward mobility. Second, transportation of all things. Third, regionalism and ethnicity. And fourth, love stories. As a quick intro to the film itself, it starts on August 7th, 1949, in the San Gaetano region of Rome. A title card reads that the sun today rises at 6.15 a.m. and sets at 7.42 p.m., and that that night will be a crescent moon. We'll get back to the specifics of this timing later on. Throughout the day, we follow a few different groups. A group of young bike riders, including one named Enrico, a big family all packed into a car, and their eldest daughter is a young woman named Marcella, a small middle-class family with a father, Alberto, his daughter, Cristina, and his new fiance, Inez, and then a lower-class young woman, Luciana, who's being taken out by a wealthier suitor named Roberto. These four groups all take the journey from Rome to go to Ostia at the beach. There's a couple parties staying in town in Rome, however. We have Luciana's ex-boyfriend, Roberto, who lives in the same building as her, as well as a traffic officer, Ercole, and his fiancée, Rosetta. Domenica de Agosto follows each group, those beachgoers as well as those staying in Rome, as they intersect and cross paths throughout the day. Seeing such a cross-section of characters going through the shared experience of a day at the beach, the different economic circumstances facing each group rise to the surface in several different ways. First, through transportation. 
Means of travel are a reflection not only of class and economic means, but also of one's own freedom and agency. For the young men on bikes, while they are lower class than other characters, likely with low-paying jobs, they're still empowered by the freedom and self-determination allowed by biking oneself around. They are bound to no one but themselves and their own course. With the family in a car, while the family seems to be portrayed as lower middle class, they must have some kind of means if they're able to afford a car in the first place, albeit it's shared among a group of 10 or so. Marcella, that oldest daughter, is also sort of trapped in the back seat, given that her day begins and ends along with her families. She doesn't have the freedom afforded that the bikers have to go and do as she pleases. For the family of three, the father, daughter, and fiance, they ride a train to get to the beach. They're portrayed maybe as upper middle class, they're dressed in suits, and they're a little more composed and elegant than the family in the car. Um, that said, they're part of an almost laughably packed mob of travelers who are taking public transportation to get to Ostia. And, like Marcella, they're also somewhat trapped. The father's in a seemingly unhappy engagement, the daughter's on her way to spend the summer in a convent, and the fiancé is stuck with a stepdaughter who she clearly doesn't want. And then we have Luciana and Roberto. Roberto seems to have the most wealth and agency of anybody we've seen so far, since he has his own car and really his own freedom. That said, in terms of agency, Luciana, the girl he's picking up, is in a similar boat to Marcella. She's effectively stuck with Roberto. He's her ride to and from the beach, almost as if she's held captive as the unsettling events of the day transpire. In addition to their means of transport and how they get to the beach, where they actually spend their day and what they do there is similarly reflective of their class standing. There are two main sections of the beach, the lower and the upper class, which is called La Vecchia Pineta. The lower class section is much more crowded and noisier than that upper class side. The visitors who come there storm through the gates to claim one of limited number of tent cabins for the day where they cook food that they brought from home. Marcella's friend Yolanda comments on the chaotic crowds on that side of the beach, that it's hard to be around people like this. On that other side, the upper class end of the beach, La Vecchia Pineta, their beachgoers enjoy sit-down dining, musicians serenading them while they eat, not to mention how spacious and roomy it is, plus attendants assisting with boating and water sports. The geography of the beach itself is also reflective of these class barriers and upward mobility. The young adults, Marcella, Yolanda, and Enrico, are able to cross to the upper class side of the beach by sneaking under the fence and hiding from the security guard. In the middle of the day, Enrico does rejoin his friends, the young men on bikes, for lunch, but when they ask where he's been all day, he dodges a question and says that it's his own business. Perhaps he thinks he'd be found out if they all went or that the group would be too rowdy for that upper-class side of the beach. An even deeper read could be that there's just only so much room at the Vecchia Pineta across that socioeconomic fence. Only a few could elevate to the other. Another attempt to elevate one's class standing comes through Roberto, Luciana's suitor. He's brought Luciana along as a sort of trophy prize to impress a baron and his social circle for whom Roberto is selling jewelry. The Baron's mistress sees right through Roberto's phony buttering up 
and Roberto, in turn, wants her put in a retirement home. Later on in the film, the Baron makes offensive advances on Luciana. Rather than defending her, though, the Roberto asks her to apologize to the Baron. His ticket to a higher social standing is by appeasing those in power, even at the expense of his trophy girl's dignity. And what's more, as a lower-class woman on the upper-class side of the beach, Luciana is stuck as an outsider. She's being asked to play by rules she's unfamiliar with, and is isolated with no one like her on her side. The decadent pleasures Enrico and Marcella are able to find on the Vecchia Pineta are not felt by Luciana. In addition to class differences, we also get glimmers into ethnic inequalities and perceptions, which in turn reinforce the strata between groups. When Marcella and her friend Yolanda first cross over to the upper class side of the beach, Yolanda, who has dark hair, comments that taller, blonder people look more like nobility. She realizes Marcella fits that description, and her physical appearance could be part of how they're able to pass with the more elite side of the beach. Yolanda also makes this comment almost carelessly. She doesn't seem bothered, or perhaps she's just internalized, the idea that people who look like her aren't going to rise to a certain social standing. We also see these uncomfortable elements back in Rome. When the engaged couple, Ercole and Rosetta, go seeking help, they are escorted by an older gentleman who comments that things were easier when we were just Romans, presumably unaware that Ercole himself is not Roman. This could be a form of passing by Ercole's authority status as a traffic officer in uniform. But even outside of that, he's hearkening back to the more ethnically and culturally homogenous Italy pre-unification, compared to the more diverse modern Italy, unified with the South, Kingdom of the Two Sicilies, and more. Another theme that stood out was the exploration of different kinds of love. One of the most memorable lines of dialogue comes from an exchange between Luciana and the Baron's mistress. After the Baron has made unwelcome advances on Luciana, the mistress tells Luciana that love stories are all the same, and only the characters change. Perhaps that rings true for the somewhat demented social circle of exes and stepchildren that the Baron has swirling around him, but there seem to be two main types of love stories told in Domenica de Agosto. The first type of love is to search for love from somewhere external. We see this most obviously with Luciana and Roberto. Luciana says goodbye to her ex-boyfriend Renato and is picked up outside her home, a huge apartment building, by Roberto with his slick hair and fancy Studebaker car. She's pursuing this man, at least partly because of his class status. He can offer her an escape from the lower class upbringing she's known all her life. Following the family at the beach, Alberto, the father who's engaged, ends up striking a connection with Adriana, a single mother with whom they've been assigned the same cabin. Her graciousness and patience is a sharp contrast to the jabs and judgments of Ines, Alberto's actual fiancé, and he and Adriana strike up a connection as they continue to bump into each other throughout the day. He tells her that he admires her courage for continuing to live even after her husband left her. He says he feels like his life is already over. At the beginning of the day, he had dropped off Christina, his daughter, at a convent to spend the summer, but after meeting Adriana, who has a daughter of her own, he has a change of heart and picks up his daughter Christina back from the convent. Ines, his fiancée, is furious and insists that he chooses between the two. 
he chooses his daughter. As a result, Ines returns to Rome not on the train with Alberto and Christina, but with a Neapolitan man she had struck up a connection with during the day. He had caught her attention first through chit-chat, but when he mentioned working on Via Veneto, a high-class neighborhood of Rome, she seemed intrigued by the potential of wealth and power that he represented. She ends up leaving Ostia with him in his car, only to find out his carburetor is broken and she has to get out and push. Her perception of him as wealthy and successful has probably been shaken. Possibly the richest love story of the film is that of Marcella and Enrico, the two young adults who sneak across the fence to the Vecchia Pineta. When they first meet, they use the more formal tense, lei. Then they transition to the more informal tense, using tu, after they get lost and have to cut through the woods to return to the beach. The distinction is hard to pick up on for non-speakers, but it reflects a growing comfortability and trust with one another. By dropping the formal tense, it's like they're not trying as hard to impress each other, and now they can see each other as equals, literally through their verbiage. That said, they still definitely lie to each other throughout the day. They snuck into the Vecchia Pineta, for one, and their perceptions of each other are built on assumptions that go uncorrected. In one moment, Enrico admits that his hands are greasy, and Marcella's friend Yolanda asks if it's because of his car, and he replies sure, rather than correcting her and saying it's because of his bike. Later on, Marcella finds Enrico sitting on the beach, and he invites her to join him on the boat he's sitting on. She asks if it's his, and he replies, well, and just then, an attendant comes up and offers to pull them out to sea, before he can consciously choose whether to tell the truth or keep the lie going. Their physical location at a beach they really shouldn't be at, plus their ability to pass, lets their imaginations run wild and shaping Enrico into someone that he's not. Of course, when the day ends, everyone returns to their traveling party and goes back home. Enrico, back in his everyday lower-class neighborhood, sees Marcella out of his window, and they realize that they live in the same neighborhood. He recognizes her uncle as a neighborhood fixture cantone, and he reintroduces himself as the son of Peppino the plumber. At last, they're honest with themselves and with each other. The second type of love in this film is to renew one's love or improve oneself to strengthen an already existing relationship. We see this first, more in the background, with Luciana and Renato, who are two exes that live in the same building. Renato is frustrated as he can't provide what Luciana seems to be looking for, a way out of her apartment where she's lived all her life. Desperate to make money and help win Luciana back, he touches base with a couple acquaintances and they plan a heist to rob a slaughterhouse. As they're carrying out the scheme, one of the other men even tells Renato, you too will have a car that makes 200, referring to the nicer, speedier car that Roberto can afford that Renato will someday acquire. The heist gets bungled though, and the group all end up arrested. Our second love story of renewal is that of Ercole and Rosetta. She is pregnant before they are married, and as a result, she's been fired from her job. They seek help from an older woman, Nanina, who offers them money to help get them started, but they politely decline. Their story doesn't fully button up when the movie ends, but when they say goodbye, Ercole says he will talk to her employers to try to change their mind. What's noteworthy about these latter love stories of renewal and rekindling is that they're experienced specifically by those staying home, not of the beachgoers. 
even spatially. What they're looking for is at home or within themselves. It doesn't take a trip or going somewhere else to discover love. Even in the sound design, the mood of these two stories set in Rome are much quieter and almost more somber than the noisy antics at play on the beach. If the beach represents an escape or a getaway, staying in town means these characters at home can seek self-improvement on their own terms. In addition to sound design, another formal element that leaves an impression is the editing. It's almost choppy or rigid in how scenes will simply stop, the soundtrack will cut out, and we jump to somewhere else. This feels reflective of the precision of the opening title, which states that the sun rises at 6.15 a.m. and sets at 7.42 p.m. A seed is planted that the day will chug along on schedule, and the sharpness of the cuts across geography and characters reflects this objective, not-quite-resolved element to many of the stories. Some characters do find happy endings, or we are left trusting that things will work out for them, but Luciana's path sure seems uncertain, with a Roberto having just been arrested. And then the engaged couple, Ercole and Rosetta, are certainly happy together and in love, but the film ends before she has a place to live. Their immediate future is certainly in doubt. The film leaves these threads hanging, but such is the nature of life. Not everything will wrap up with a bow by the end of the day. This bittersweet, objective, though realistic, feeling makes sense for this director. This is Luciano Emmer's fourth film, but his first fiction feature. Prior to Domenica de Agosto, he had directed three documentaries. While not exactly a hard-hitting neorealist movie by any means, this film certainly has documentary elements, such as its mostly objective point of view, plus the ticking clock moving throughout the day toward its conclusion. It's also reflected through that somewhat choppy editing, how scenes don't resolve in a traditionally dramatic or comedic sense. They simply stop and were tossed somewhere else. Emmer continued to direct consistently throughout the rest of the 1950s, then made films occasionally up to his passing in 2009. Domenica de Agosto is probably his best-known film, even earning a place on the 100 Italian films to be saved list. Another movie in this vein that I would recommend is Federico Fellini's Lo Sheico Bianco, or The White Sheik. This is another summertime set movie with deception, mistaken identities, in the sense of a temporary escape, albeit with permanent implications. It doesn't have quite the large ensemble cast or as many class cross-sections as Domenica de Agosto, but it's another light comedy exploring many similar themes. Grazie as always for listening, and please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. If you haven't yet, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And until next time, ciao amici. Sei tu d'accordo con me?